This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Last week we looked at the uh, first statements of Jesus where he says, You have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus is not opposing the law given to us by God, but he was opposing how it was interpreted and how it was taught by the religious leaders. The religious leaders taught this in a way that was limited and restrictive to a single act. And so they said, if you are capable of of avoiding this act, then you're deemed righteous before God. Jesus comes and reveals to them how they misunderstood the law the whole time. And not only did they misunderstand the law, but they misunderstood the holiness of God and the sinfulness of God of man, which is what the law reveals. We also see that the words of Jesus is sufficient in this passage, right? He directly contrasts it. You have heard it said, but I say to you. I alone, no supporting authorities, no argument, no reason, no uh, additional scripture. It remains alone. Why? Because of the words of Jesus are sufficient. Jesus isn't correcting the Bible, but the Bible is for Jesus, and Jesus is for the Bible. The authority of Jesus is sufficient because of who Jesus is, the Son of the living God, second person of the Trinity, fully man, fully God. And now, in this sermon, Jesus moves on from the sixth to the seventh commandment, adultery, found in Exodus 20, 14. And adultery is referred to sexual relations by a married person with a partner other than his or her spouse. And as we just heard the text being read by Dave, the text makes it evident that we're not just talking about specific action of cheating on a spouse, but speaking of sexual sin in general. And before we continue to dissect this passage, I want to acknowledge that talking about sexual sin, it May it be a physical cheating in marriage, uh, an emotional affair, uh, premarital sex, habitual addiction to pornography, internal fantasies of a man or woman that is not your spouse. For some of us, these can be the most painful topics or sins to talk about if it's been a part of your past or if it's a part of your present It can feel like it's still too sensitive to talk about, too painful to the touch to even ponder about. The sin can be the most hidden thing about your life right now. It can be the most shameful thing about who you are right now. But my ask of you today is this. Don't check out. Don't defer the sermon to someone else. Don't be defensive if the Spirit is working in your heart. Don't be quick to justify in how you think, why you act. Don't be quick to judge. But most of all, because of this, don't miss the point of why Jesus came, even through a passage like this. Deal? Deal? Deal or no deal? Deal? Deal. All right. No, that's no deal. Never mind. Deal. All right, let's dig into our text for the title for today's sermon is this, Radically Pursuing Purity. Radically Pursuing Purity found in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. 
Uh, if you have a Bible with you, open to that text. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you, so go ahead and pull that out and keep it forever if you'll read it. It's a good deal. And if you're taking down notes, write this down. This is our big idea. Followers of Jesus pursue holiness by radically avoiding sexual sin. Followers of Jesus pursue holiness by radically avoiding sexual sin. And in this passage, let's look at three assertions of Jesus' teaching. The first one is this. Write this down. Jesus reveals adultery is a matter of the heart's desire to sin. Jesus reveals adultery is a matter of the heart's desire to sin. Let's look at verse 27. Follow along with me. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, uh, the law was given to the Israelites. Right? And this, was, this is the law found in Leviticus 20.10. It says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. A punishment that led to death physically, which shows the seriousness of this sin. Right, technically, this is how the religious leaders taught the law. Right, it's still tax season, I guess. And what they did was they itemized the law to a single deduction. If you sleep with someone else's wife, then you've committed adultery then. And I think we can collectively come to the agreement that in marriage, cheating on your spouse is wrong and it's sinful. But what does Jesus say on, in this matter? On this matter, Let's look at verse 28, follow along. It says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I can imagine as Jesus was teaching to the crowds and he said, but I say to you, there was some, some sigh, there's some here we go again, or some intent listening. I'm guessing some of the responses were that he is speaking blasphemy against God's word with his so-called authority. It's never been taught like this. We know the truth. What he is saying, it's impossible to follow. Why listen to him? I'm guessing others said, and he's revealing something that was already there. Even I have committed this sin against a holy and perfect God. I've never heard of this type of authority and teaching before. Jesus redefines adultery. He says, if you look at a woman that is not your wife with a desire to have that person for yourself, romantically, emotionally, sexually, then you have committed adultery before God Jesus is revealing a deeper understanding of sexual purity. Right? Murder begins with anger in our hearts, and adultery begins with lust in our heart. Lust here refers to the one who continues to look. The word here is translated as to leer. Jesus is not talking about casting a passing glance, but it's that double take, the stare, the look that produces imagination in your, in your head that, be, that you'd be embarrassed to even say it out loud. But before it, makes, before it becomes a made-up scenario in your head, we must acknowledge that the, the desire to leer, the desire to continue and play out that 
sinful scenario does not just come from the outside world, but it comes from our hearts. The eternal lustful intent. Adultery begins in your heart. It gives life to your imagination and you find yourself in a uh, physical, emotional affair. You'll find yourself with a lustful attraction and a desire to someone that is not yours to have. It's the desire to have someone or something that is not yours to have. The ninth commandment hits it. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, meaning to yearn or possess it for yourself. It's not yours to to have rightfully. But sin, sin convinces you that it could be yours. It's deceiving. Jesus is condemning lustful thoughts and actions. And lust is cultivating or giving into sexual temptation through fantasizing, through imagining, watching, or acting upon sexual scenarios, relations outside of the context of marriage. The attention of your heart matters to God. Janie Ortland says this, we have always have a higher tolerance for our own hidden sins. But none of us can, can caress a secret world of lust and fantasy without defiling our soul. Ultimately, adultery, like all sin, is a heart issue. This is where it all begins. And Matthew 7:23, in her quote, says this, "All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person." And as the spirit moves and as the spirit convicts. Hopefully we find ourselves not so quick to be looking at others, but looking within our own hearts. The New Testament often talks about sexual immorality. The Greek word pornea is where the English word pornography comes from. Where sexual sin is, is a thought or the act that surrenders that holiness, that sexual purity um, away. One author defines it as the selling off of purity. It involves any type of sexual expression outside the boundaries of a biblically defined marriage relationship. Okay, what is a biblically defined marriage relationship? The word says this. Have you not heard or have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. the word says. And what I'm praying is that we see and realize today that it's not just the act, but it's the why. Our hearts enjoy it. It's pleased by it. It will convince you that the pleasure, the high that you feel, the escape, the unspeakable possibilities that you secretly desire, desire that they're okay and that it doesn't hurt anyone. But the intention of your heart matters to God. And sin doesn't just offend God, but it distorts the way that you see others, how you see yourself, and the good things from God, like marriage, like sex, like pleasure in a way that goes against God. The battle is an internal battle. The intention of your heart matters. Jesus is saying that adultery is a matter of the heart's desire to sin, and what is shocking is the level of lust is equated to adultery itself. Jesus didn't come just to reveal to us who God is, but Jesus came to reveal to us who we 
really are. If we believe in who Jesus is, then we must believe in what Jesus says about who we are. Right? He came to set things right in the right perspective. He came to show us who we really are, and unfortunately, our hearts are tainted because of our selfish desire. Right? God's word says this about our hearts. Jeremiah 17 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Lord can. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Have you committed adultery in the sight of God? Because Jesus is saying that adultery is a matter of the heart's desire to sin and have what is not ours, and we have all sinned. That's the first assertion of the teaching of Jesus. The second one is this. Write this down. Uh, Jesus instructs us to remove visual hindrances for the sake of avoiding sin. Jesus instructs us to remove visual hindrances for the sake of avoiding sin. Uh, We're in chapter 5, verse 29 says this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Right? Amputation and self-mutilation is not what Jesus is talking about. He is not literal, but he is figuratively speaking. I hope that we get that. We have not prepared surgical utensils to literally bring application to this text today. Don't worry, we will not be asking you guys to text and wave and tear out your neighbor's eye and throw it. Because that would be a lot of cleaning for me. And you know why this isn't a literal command? Because even if it was a literal command, and if, even if we followed the words of Jesus literally and did this, then we're still capable of lusting and sinning. I don't need my eyes and eyes my eyes and my hands to be uh, lustful or sinful. I already have enough heart, uh, junk in my heart. But a word to not skip over is if. This is important, right? If. Everyone is tempted uniquely. And this applies differently for everyone, right? It says, if it causes you to stumble. If it causes you to stumble. However, the enemy is crafty. The enemy knows when you let your guard down, when you are weak, when you are vulnerable. But, so we must all be sober-minded. If this causes you to stumble, you must act. And, and Jesus doesn't, doesn't say just, just to cut your eye out, if that is not radical enough. But he says to throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. We've seen in movies... Hopefully not in real life when accidentally someone chops their finger off. What do they do? They grab it, they put it in ice, and quickly go to the ER. Hopefully surgeons could put it back together. But imagine someone cuts off a portion of their finger that throws it, throws it away, and then just, they just watch TV. Or Jesus figuratively saying, cut it off and throw it away so you can't be tempted again. This seems pretty radical, doesn't it? Eliminate what tempts the gaze that prompts the lust. Our body runs based on what we uh, choose to feed ourselves. I'm talking about food here. 
But our mind runs based on what we choose to see for ourselves. Man, it's not the, the woman's job to, pre- to prevent you from lusting. The choice and the decision is ours. What we see for ourselves, our daily intake of what we see and desire to see, molds our minds. It will entice us to act or pursue something that doesn't honor God. Even if you think it, even if you think it doesn't affect you, it does affect you. A significant threat to society is pornography and the objectification of women. And I don't think it's going to get any better with our generations to come. According to one survey, in the survey, 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Another stat says this, that pornography use increases um, cheating, the cheating rate by more than 300%. What does that say? That marriage doesn't solve your problems with pornography. In fact, it will ruin it. One commentator says the problem is not beauty. That's not the problem. But it's objecting, uh, objectifying a woman and the female body so that it becomes an object of self-satisfying pleasure for the male. Jesus' words in the text prohibits that or any sort of that because he sees the female form and the male form to be fitted for one another with the bounds of a married relationship. So how do we do this? Right? How do we fight sexual sin? Right, here are some practical steps, right? This will help. This isn't the answer, but it's a way to fight it actively. The first one is this, shine light on your sin. Shine light on your sin. Sin. Be real with God. If you can't be real with God, who already knows you, who created you, then you can't be real with yourself. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself. Self-examination is needed. Secondly, be real with others. Find a brother or sister to confess openly. Right, bring accountability. And accountability doesn't have to, to, to be when something goes wrong or with something specifically. It could be a rhythm so things can go right. So you have someone to, to check on you. Let's be quick to ask how we're really doing. And let's not be so quick to judge, okay? Shine light on your sin. The light overcomes darkness every single time. And my kids' listen, lessons this week, I, I shared with the kids, there's a hallway downstairs that I'm a little afraid of because it's dark. But as soon as you turn the lights on, I'm not thinking about the hallway. It loses power. The second one is this, flee sexual temptation. Flee sexual temptation. Uh, there are some sins in our lives that we're to, to address, to reconcile, to resolve, but sexual sin, God makes it clear we ought to fight this by fleeing it, by avoiding it. Don't mess with it. Sexual temptation is attractive, it lures you, and every time it is a snare, it's a trap. 
One author says Jesus demands transformation by urging his followers metaphorically to remove the source of desire. Flee it. It doesn't take long to fall into it. But not only flee from that sin, but go to God. That's the best place to go. Go to God, flee to God. If that means if you need to take a walk, walk and pray to God. If that means that you need to be with someone, go with that someone and pray to God. The third one is this. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be faint-hearted. Don't give up on yourself. Don't be faint-hearted with God. This would be a sin that you've been struggling for a long, long time. Don't give up. The, worth, the fight is worth fighting. Don't be faint-hearted. There is victory. Don't give it power to say that you can't overcome it. We have someone that has overcome it. Fourth one is this. Set your eyes on truth. Set your eyes on truth. I'm going to ask you guys to not think about something here pretty quickly. Okay, some participation. Don't think about a purple elephant. Don't think about a purple elephant, okay? You're smiling for some reason. I see you're smiling. Purple elephant, man. You think about a purple elephant? I'm guessing that most of you guys thought about a purple elephant when I said don't do it. You don't want you want to know a secret? You know what I thought about? A green giraffe. What? Where is this going? First of all, I, I know I knew that I was gonna ask it, so I had some time to prepare. But also I've trained myself to think about a green giraffe before a purple elephant ever comes into my mind. We need to train ourselves with truth. We need to be quick to think about truth as an offensive weapon and not just play defense. Both are needed. Be quick to replace the lies with truth. Be quick to replace the temptations with truth. Flee it. Avoid it. Replace it with truth. What is life giving versus what is life ending? Think about that green draft. God's word says in Romans 13, 4, it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We don't need to be an advocate for the enemy. We don't need to make any provisions for the flesh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, his truth, his love. Abide in him. Three assertions of Jesus' teaching. The first one, Jesus reveals adultery as a matter of the heart's desire to sin. Jesus instructs us to remove visual hindrances. And third one is this, Jesus is teaching us to remove yourself from a situation for the sake of avoiding sin. Remove yourself from a situation for the sake of avoiding sin. Let's look at this last verse. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Here he is, again, telling us to throw things away. Quick survey, who is left-handed? One, two, three, four, five, six. Bam. 
Cool. Seven? That's good. So most of, our, most of us, we are right-handed, right? I love your attitude. Way to go. <laughs> right hand is the dominant hand for most of us. The right hand and the right eye expresses significance and value to, value to us. Right? We can still manage a few things with our dominant hand. We can throw a ball. We could um, cook. We could write. But try doing that with your other hand. Not so great, right? Your right hand has great value. Your dominant hand has great value. And our dominant hand here represents the physical actions of lust. Jesus is saying it's worth to give up anything, even of great value, if it causes you to stumble. Anything of significant value ought to be given up if it's leading us away from God by sin. If social media is causing you to stumble, delete it. If your cell phone with internet is causing you to constantly stumble, cancel it. If your laptop is a continued temptation to look at something that you're not supposed to be looking at, toss it. If you catch yourself having emotions and feelings for someone outside of your spouse and it causes you to stumble, stop it. Whatever you have to do for the sake of avoiding sin, this seems pretty radical, doesn't it? Following Jesus calls us to be holy or set apart like Jesus. And this isn't always the economical choice. This isn't the convenient choice. It's not the easiest choice. But it's the way of following Jesus by picking up your cross daily. Sin is subtle. Sin uh, perverts nature. It affects us. But remember, it's not just the action, it's the why. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, it's not so much that I do a thing, it's what makes me do it, what urges me to do it, that matters. There it is in all of us. And we must face it, the depth and power of sin. To understand who we really are, we must understand what sin is, what it does, and how we are sinful. There's a relationship between our hearts and between our eyes that directly relate to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I've said this before, and it's so true now, that if you're not pursuing God, you're pursuing something else. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something or someone else. When we pursue Jesus, we pursue holiness, a way that is set apart from the world. That's what it means to pursue Jesus. The scary part, the sad part, is that an unrepentant heart that feeds on lust will lead you to eternal separation from God, which is hell. Sin leads to death because death entered through sin. The good news is that God offers a way out. Right? 
the understanding of our sin and our heart should lead us to an absolute need of Jesus. Right? Hitting how hard we've sinned should enable us to go to Jesus even quicker. The understanding of our sin in our hearts is important because it shows us that we are nothing without him and we can do nothing apart from him. Abide in him. Abide in Christ. No matter the attempt of uh, perfection in purity, it can never be achieved because we've all fallen short of the law. We don't measure up to God's standards because God is perfect and we are not However, with the right motive, we can radically change that we follow Jesus through obedience. And what I don't want you to walk away from this morning is that, okay, I must not do this, and I must do this. But that misses the point, just like how the Pharisees were teaching. Don't let these practical steps be legalistic steps. Because if we are to just follow rules without understanding our hearts and our motives and the why, then we're merely robots trying to follow instructions. Mechanical obedience leads to mechanical disobedience, and that does not lead to genuine repentance. The fight isn't ultimately won through tactical strategy. Do they help in our pursuit of holiness in the way of Jesus? Absolutely. Do we need it? Absolutely. But avoiding sexual sin is not the end game. But it's humble repentance and dependence on the one who has already beat the war. That's the end game. Amen? Romans 6 says this. The first part says, For the wages of sin is death. And that's an important part of the verse to understand. What we deserve is death. Eternal separation from God, but Jesus came to usher in a new covenant. Jesus came to reveal mankind to mankind and to show us why, why we need to be saved. Because we can't save us from ourselves because of this verse. But the next part of that verse is what changes everything. This next part of that verse is why we gather, why we celebrate, why I'm smiling right now. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, I couldn't wait to get to that verse. The free gift of God that he offers to us is his son, Jesus. A gift. Not only a gift, but a free gift. Not because something that you have done. Not because you deserve it, but the free gift. The picture of the earthly marriage represents a heavenly marriage where we are seen as the bride and Jesus is seen as the bridegroom. And Christ, as our bridegroom, loves us and gave himself up for us, for me. In our depravity, in our rebellion, 
against our Creator that resulted in death. The God of the universe did something more radical than anything that we've talked about. Anything that we could ever do. He did the most radical thing by sending His perfect Son for us. To die for us. So that He may be the perfect sacrifice. So that He may satisfy the wrath of God. In our heavenly marriage, we're the ones who have cheated against God with our idols, with our pleasures, with our ungratefulness, with our eyes, with our hands, with our hearts. We've sinned against God. But Jesus, being our bridegroom, doesn't leave us. In fact, he comes even closer to us and says, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I'm always with you till the end of age. It's better to live a life with this radical obedience with Jesus than a life living a false satisfaction and happiness that the world offers. The pleasures of the world lead our whole body to go to hell, but following Jesus through dependence, repentance, and humbleness. Note that I did not say perfection. Repentance, humbleness, and dependence lead us to eternal life in Christ Jesus. He is the reason that we have hope. Not through our strategy of battling sin, but the assurance and victory over sin because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because not only did he die, he resurrected three days later in his own power and is with God the Father in heaven right now. And because he is there, it means that he has beaten, he has defeated the death that we were supposed to He did what we could never do. And the radical part, our bridegroom in love, he gave himself for us. So that no matter what, we are his forever. Forever. That's pretty radical, right? The love of Jesus is radical. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.